Hi, this is Chantel Schieffer, President and CEO of Leadership Montana. Views and opinions shared by guests of Listen First Montana do not reflect the opinions of all of our alumni or organization. We are a large group with lots of opinions, believe me. If you hear something that makes you uncomfortable, we invite you to listen deeply, listen hard, and listen first. Welcome to Listen First Montana, a podcast of Leadership Montana. I'm Eric Halverson. It's August 2020, high time for grilling steaks, but no matter how much you know about that tasty slab of beefy protein, I can almost guarantee you know less than my guest today. We're in Manhattan, Montana with Jake Fettis, local rancher, entrepreneur, and knower of all things cattle and beef, or as he says from pasture to plate to policy. The Fettis family is well known in the Gallatin Valley, having been a family cattle operation here since 1925. Fast forward 95 years to July 1st of 2020, when Jake decided to expand his business by acquiring the Amsterdam Meat Shop. Now Fettis Family Meats. Since Jake began processing and selling local meat, he has, been, he has seen a huge surge in sales, including the rib steaks I bought 30 minutes ago. Jake technically has three jobs, all of which deepen his knowledge of cattle and beef. He's a 2017 graduate of Leadership Montana, a father, a husband, and is active in politics ranging from the Republican Central Committee in Gallatin County, clear to the Young Cattlemen's Conference in Washington, D.C. Jake Fettis, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Eric. Did I get you summed up in three paragraphs? Yeah, that sounds pretty good. So let's start with your professional life. I think your entrepreneurship, especially as of late, um, is really notable. So let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, well, like you said, my family's been here since 1925. Uh, I graduated high school, stayed around for a few years, and then left, did some other things, some cattle industry jobs, uh, some other non-cattle industry jobs. Uh, decided to come back to the ranch and partner with my dad, buy some of my own cows, and we operate the ranch together. And then, yeah, then we purchased Fettis Family Meats, or the Amsterdam Meat Shop, with the, the Fettis Family Meats Incorporated name above that. Um, and we're just rocking and rolling now. So this is vertical integration, uh, as I understand it, right? So you're you're making sure you start the entire process yeah. and end the entire process. Yeah, so kind of... The reason we decided to purchase the meat shop was is we saw demand. We were processing some cattle there under state inspection so we could retail the meat out and sell it to the public. And we were selling the meat faster than I could get cattle in and get them processed because everybody else was processing meat there as well. So it just kind of happened. The manager said, well, if you want to get more cattle in, why don't you just buy the place? And that was about six weeks before we purchased it. Uh, it went really fast after that. We kind of looked at it and decided we should just not control the entire supply chain because we're still processing for other people, but be in control of when we can process our own animals and sell our own beef. And your decision to do that, so it was in six weeks, but it was built on sort of a new perspective around business and taking risk and things like that, which as I understand stemmed from your experience in Leadership Montana. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. So my family's extremely fiscally conservative, uh, along with my extended family and everybody else in Churchill. They're Dutchmen. The joke goes, how do you make copper wire? Give a penny to two Dutchmen. They'll fight over it till you have wire. Uh, so anyway, my family, my upbringing, everything's been extremely fiscally conservative. Low risk, keep doing what we're doing. 
Um, and I think my time in leadership Montana and spending time with other entrepreneurs throughout the state and seeing risks they had taken and rewards they've gotten through those risks, uh, you know, just kind of jump-started in my mind, you know, the need to do that for our family business to keep it viable and keep it going for generations to come. You know, every every locality around the state, no matter where you're in agriculture, has different issues, different challenges. And one of our biggest challenges in the Gallatin Valley is the growth, the number of people moving in, um, you know, farmland, pasture land, getting subdivided up. So we were trying to figure out how we could expand the ranch's operations, you know, for my kids to come back. Uh, and have a, a bigger business that could sustain everybody that wanted to be a part of it. And in looking at it, we were trying to figure out how to grow number-wise with our cattle and with the land being subdivided and, and less and less of it being in pasture ground to lease. You know, we had to look out, you know, think outside the box and look at something else, and that's really where the meat shop came in was we could expand our operation from pasture to plate and have a place you know have have an entity that we could bring family members back in into if they wanted to be a part of it so interesting because maybe previous generations and you work really close with your dad you said you see him every single day yep and um was he maybe less fired up about this idea than you were <laughs> well <clears throat> yeah when i first brought this idea up to him uh we were sitting there eating a cheeseburger at lunch we had stopped swathing and raking and everything hey and for the the lunch break and the hay was too wet to bale and stuff so we were just kind of sitting there talking I said you know I've got this idea and I think Alyssa and I are are pretty serious about it and he says you know what's that I said well we're looking pretty hard to buy in the Amsterdam meat shop and he just kind of set his burger down and looked at me for a minute he goes are you really that stupid (laughs) that was his direct quote to me um (laughs) And so Alyssa and I, my wife, kept talking about it and trying to figure out, you know, how we could make it work. And I had built all these spreadsheets, you know, financials and all this. And and one night he texted me about 10 o'clock. He said, email me what you put together. So I emailed it to him and I got a text about 45 minutes later and he goes, can your mom and I buy in too? (laughs) So he changed his mind in a matter of about 48 hours when he looked at the business side of it. Um, but I think just the initial thought of having eight employees, you know, the money that we had to put out to purchase it, just the, the headaches of dealing with the state inspection, um, and, and just everything involved just overwhelmed him. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's the kind of guy he is. He does what he does. Uh, he, his dad died in 1978. When he was 20 years old, he came back to the ranch at 22 and took over, and that's all he's ever done. Wow. So for him to think outside the box, it's never been a possibility for him because he's always been stuck there because his dad passed away early, so he didn't have somebody to help him out through the whole process. He just took over. Now, that sort of realization that you just explained, is that something you talk to your dad about? Oh, yeah. We... We talk about it usually not in in light of that. Usually it's in light of, hey, give me some more responsibility. I know that you never had to go through this transition of, you know, trading or going from one generation to the next generation, kind of handing things off. So he never had to deal with that. So now he has a really hard time letting go of absolutely anything with me because he never had to go through that with his dad. So that's usually the way that conversation comes up. It's more in a... I wouldn't say a negative light because you don't want to talk about somebody's death in a negative light, but it's more of, 
hey, you need to figure out how to do this because I'm coming into the operation and I need more responsibility and you need to learn to let go because you're getting old uh-huh. and need to start slowing down. Right. So it's it's been a, I wouldn't say a battle, but it's it's been kind of a, a sore spot, you know, but we're working through it and it's getting better and better. And I think, I think every family has these issues. Um, we've actually got a lot further with our secession planning than what a lot of agricultural families get to. Um, so we've been able to talk about it and figure these things out. So it's actually, you know, I think it's, it's been good for us to go through these things. It's a luxury in a way, right? That your dad has somebody to hand it to, right? I imagine a lot of ranchers of his his generation, like you said, you're sort of a, you're 37 years old and one of the lone wolves now, right? Yeah. Still doing it. Yeah. There's not a lot of people my age that are going back to the family operations. Mm -hmm. Um, we're seeing that more and more. And honestly, until about two years ago, because I had decided to run around the country and do other things for a while. Um, they didn't know what they were going to do with it as far as their will went and all of that. Since then, we've gotten that figured out since I've come back and they know that I want to do it, you know, and participate and be there and take it over. That's all changed now. But for about five years there, they had no idea what was going to happen with the operation. So let's, so let's then zoom forward one more generation. Do you, are you already thinking about that? You have three kids, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, we've discussed it. I, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, my son expresses, yeah, yeah, he's 13. He, (laughs) he enjoys it. He expresses interest, but deep down in his heart, he, uh, talks about wanting to move to Texas at 18 years old, have a van that pulls a bass boat and be a professional bass fisherman, sleep in his van. So we'll see how that all plays out. And if he decides to come back or not, uh, my daughter, fingers crossed, she finds a man that wants to be a cowboy and take over a ranch would be great. Uh, my youngest daughter, I, she wants to be a professional dancer and a veterinarian. So who knows? There you go. <laughs> so let's circle back to the meat shop. So, so when you, t- when you took it over originally, it, it wasn't selling retail. You, you built that retail piece in there completely. And then when you did, you realized that there's this huge demand for a local product that maybe you had even underestimated when you had decided to, to start the business, right? And sales just took off. So you can talk about that a little bit. So we bought it. We closed on the business July 1st. Um, once we had a signed buy-sale agreement, I started working in there at night, uh, framing and sheetrocking in a retail center with a four-door glass freezer in there so people could see product. We opened that spot up on July 3rd, and as of the end of July, we had increased retail sales by 300% in the first month. Um, it, It really took off, you know, and all we did was advertise on Facebook. I didn't even pay for advertising. All I did was put posts on Facebook and word of mouth. And I think it helped to where people have driven past our ranch and seen the Fettus name forever. I think it helped, you know, seeing that name, knowing that name's been in the Valley forever. And people just correlated that with beef. Right. So they came in and I mean, it was, it was a phenomenal response. And since then we've hired a a part-time retail person to just keep it stocked, deal with customers. Uh, it's, it's just gotten crazy, but I do think that COVID has definitely changed people's perceptions on food and shopping local and people want a local product that's processed locally. Uh, you and I were talking earlier about, I think it was in the, I 
think it was in the 80s or early 90s, they did a, a survey and 70% of the food that was eaten in the state of Montana was processed and produced and processed in the state. And as of 2019, it was down to 5%. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, when COVID hit, people really started to want a local product. And where we're the only state inspected facility for 75 miles in any direction, we were really kind of the only go-to for a consistent, constant supply of local product. That's really interesting. One of the things that we talked about um, in some of our conversations leading up to this was about this idea that most people don't realize that um, there are two distinct commodities that you're working with, right? It's cattle and beef and that there's plenty of cattle in Montana, but there's <laughs> maybe maybe not Montana beef here, which is so strange, right? Yeah. So um, for people to be able to actually slice into beef that's grown right here on your ranch and other mm-hmm. local ranches in the valley, it's pretty special. Yeah, it's it's definitely a, a cool, you know, thing that we're able to do here. And there there's several state inspected and federally inspected facilities in Montana, but there aren't any big ones. So when we talk big, um, JBS, which is a multinational corporation, has a facility in Greeley, Colorado, that slaughters six thousand eight hundred cattle per day. <laughs> I do twelve to fourteen a week. <laughs> So when we talk about the scales of operation, um, the last time I checked, there was 857 USDA-inspected facilities around the country. 27 of them process 85% of the cattle. And it's like 500 and some thousand a week. Uh So... It's, there's 830 other facilities that are smaller, but those those 27 do the vast majority of all the meat processing in the U.S. What we're doing is pretty special with all my jobs, but to go from pasture to plate, when we bought the shop July 1st, there was nobody else doing that, really, that owned the processor too. There was people that were had a branded product, but there wasn't anybody that was raising the cattle, owned the processing company, and owned the retail spot. Uh, since then, there's another ranching family from north of Billings that has purchased a processing facility in Forsyth. And they also have a branded meat product. Awesome family doing cool things out there. It's the Hollenbeck family, and it's High Five Meats. Um, and they're essentially doing what we're doing now, and it's awesome. I love seeing it. I like to see these guys get in because there's, like we talked earlier, there's two different commodities. And the cattle commodity has been a very hard commodity to make a living in the last 20 years there's been three or four or five good years but there's been 15 years that were so so or not good and in the beef commodity world it's always good Mm -hmm. so to see these families going from pasture to plate is neat because it, it actually makes operations viable and like i said earlier to move on to the next generation so it's pretty cool i hope we see more and more of it to be honest uh it seems crazy because there'll be competition, but competition makes everybody better. And I, I think for the people in Montana, the consumers in Montana, it's better and better for them. The more local meat that we can put out there for them. Yeah. So I'm curious. You had mentioned that you know part of the sort of rancher mentality or, or culture, and I know a little bit about this, having grown up building fences and things like that, but nothing on the level that you got going. And I, I just, it, it seems that that retail piece has been sitting there for a while maybe and i wonder why you why it hasn't come sooner i mean you, you had mentioned that 
ranchers like you like to work your ass off 80, 100 hours a week. And if you don't turn a profit, which happens not infrequently, right? You, yeah. you'll just work harder. Yeah. But now all of a sudden you have this, this real cash cow to make a pun out of it. <laughs> well, it's not a cash cow yet. We're hoping it is. Um, you know, I think it's like we talked about earlier, it, before COVID, a lot of it came down to price point. Um, to be honest, you know, I've, I sell to the Bacchus pub downtown Bozeman. Um, they use all of our ground beef, you know, when COVID hit and there's a shortage of meat in the grocery store, there's a shortage of meat for restaurants too. And ground beef was six fifty or $7 through their distributor. And I went to them and I said, Hey, you know, my profit or my break evens probably, you know, three seventy. I'll sell it to you for four bucks. I make a little bit of money. It helps you out in this tough time, but then, you know, be loyal to me and stick with me. And right now they can buy burgers through their distributor for $2 and 79 cents. And I'm still four bucks. As of now, they're still with me, but the, the price is vary so much. And until COVID it was, it wasn't super economically viable to do this because it all came down to price point. Mm -hmm. And now things are changing. And I think we're going to see more and more, uh, ranchers do this we're already seeing more and more ranchers direct market i mean if you look on facebook it's all over facebook everybody's got beef for sale everybody's got pork for sale um and i, I and i think it's cool it's not just here it's all over the country a lot of people are starting to direct market their products which is great uh, as long as we can get them processed and, and keep things going like now we're booked up through next august on processing really that's great yeah it's it's wild and I don't know if it'll continue like that. Um, whether or not it does with the retail space, I think we'll be good. So, yeah. uh, you know, for me, that's kind of the exciting The exciting part of it is that we'll hopefully be able to keep that retail space going. Um, you said earlier how business had exploded, and it was way beyond my wildest dreams. I had to do a, I had to do a financial and cash flow analysis for my accountant and for my state grant that I just got through Department of Ag. And in my cash flow analysis, I knew I was being conservative, but I figured a 5% increase in retail sales month over month starting in July. Well, July wasn't 5%, it was 300%. So I don't know where that'll go in the future, but if we can keep expanding on that a little bit every month, you know, it's it's going to work out really well for us. But I'm also buying beef from other producers, uh, one in particular over by Big Timber, um, well, Springdale areas, Felton Angus Ranch. He finishes a lot of cattle, and I purchased them from him. When he was selling them to the big processors that do thousands a day, he, they were paying him $1.55. Well, everything they make over that, they're keeping as profit. So I told Jim, I said, well, you bring them to me. I'll pay you $1.75. You make more money. I'm making some money. Let's all make money. Yeah. You know, and, it, and it's possible. It's just that we're not a multinational corporation trying to get rich. We're trying to help out every producer around too, so it's a, it's a different mentality. I'm trying to work on a system too, where where when I sell their cattle, I could give them a 10% kickback on the back end once I retail out their beef, because retail really is where the money in in beef is. Mm -hmm. So if I could give them a kickback on the back end too, that's ultimately where we want to get to, so that everybody's making money and everybody's viable, and it creates a a thriving agricultural industry throughout Montana. 
I think that's a really good transition to talk about your values. I mean, like we hear it. I mean, I'm hearing you talk about it right now, right? Like yeah. you're focused on making, not getting rich. No, you're not I mean, terribly keen on that, right? Well, I mean, I want to do well. <laughs> I'd like to take my kids to Hawaii and sit on the beach for a week if I can ever get away. But no, it's it's not about having the most expensive car. You're sitting in my townhouse with me in Belgrade. It's it's not a mansion by any means. The truck's pretty sweet, though. The truck's sweet, but the house is <laughs> 1,200 square feet. I mean, it's it's not about getting rich. Um, your I, priority seems to lie in your community, right? Like you care about oh, the yeah. future of agriculture yeah. and about other producers working there, working really hard around here. I want to see ag keep going in the state of Montana. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's probably not going to grow from where it is today in the future, but if we can keep it viable, keep keep people, you know, with a, with successful operations, so that kids can come back. I mean, that's ultimately what I want to see. When when you look at an operation with kids that aren't coming back it's because they don't want to work 80 or 100 hours a week for $36,000 a year when they can go to town work 8 to 5 have Saturday and Sunday off and make 65 or $70,000 a year I mean it's a no-brainer I would probably do the same thing if my heart wasn't in it Mm -hmm. but if we can get to where those guys can actually make some money we can help them make some money help them show their kids it's a great lifestyle and we can do well and sure. have fun and go to the lake or go on vacation once a year, you know, have some extra money for things. That's really where I want to get and where I want to help producers. I'd like to see everybody in the state, you know, continue to grow and be viable and, and keep moving forward with future generations. That's really exciting. And I, and I think it only touches on your values just a little bit. So I wonder if you take a crack at actually defining your values. You know, value identification is one of the things that gets done in Leadership Montana. I mean, for me, it's it's family. It's raising my kids to be, you know, a, a benefit to society, not a drag on society. I want kids that will work hard, take care of themselves, take responsibility for their own decisions. It's being fiscally responsible so that I can take care of myself. I can take care of my kids. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's that. It's taking care of my parents. That was part of the meat shop thing was they have zero retirement. Mm. They've worked on the ranch for 40 four years now my dad has and he has virtually no retirement so my thought was if we can make the meat shop do good you know their income from that every year could be put into their retirement um so helping them be able to slow down take life easy at some point when they get to that age and want to do that um you know and then helping out the community i think that the stronger we can make our community the better off we're going to be One of the stories that you mentioned to me, I mean, you, you talked just now about having fallen down in a, a couple times in your life, and you shared a powerful story, and I don't know if you would consider this having fallen down, but certainly a challenge that you faced, and it came your senior year of high school, and I wonder if you welcome, you would be willing to share that with listeners. Yeah, so my daughter was born my senior year of high school uh, in September, so I went through my entire senior year having a child. Um, in the community I was in, it was, it was pretty tough. Um, and my parents and then my, uh, daughter's other grandparents said they'd help us, you know, whatever babysit, whatever, but financially would not pay a dime for, uh, McKinsey being born. Um, and neither one of us had insurance, so it was a pretty hefty bill. So I went to, I went to school from eight to noon and then worked 40 hours a week 
after lunchtime. So I worked Monday through Friday, Saturdays, everything, and had that bill paid off by the time I graduated high school. Um, and that really, you know, it, it really, I guess, set in stone for me how hard you have to work to get ahead. Um, and the other side of it was is I, I realized that, yeah, I had made a bad choice, and I had to deal with the consequences at that point. You know, I had made some other bad choices throughout high school, but, you know, one of them we paintballed a bunch of buildings and road signs. And uh, long story short, the sheriff got called. We talked to him for a while. The sheriff called my parents. We made a deal. He would not charge me with anything if I went and cleaned up all the paint. <laughs> well, I don't know if you guys know much about paintballs, but that paint fades in about 12 hours. So I said, yeah, I'll go clean it all up the next day. So I went out the next day to clean it up, and it had all faded, and you couldn't even see I paintballed anything. <laughs> so I had zero consequences from that. So, you know, it was really the first time that I really had to deal with a lifelong consequence of a decision that I made. And, you know, it, it taught me a lot of lessons, made me grow up super fast. Um, I wouldn't say made my made the decision for me, but I, I decided to graduate and just go to work and support my daughter, uh, financially and take care of what I had to do. Um, so I, I never did go to college, uh, and just started working and, and work. I always figured that I had to work harder than everybody else. Cause I didn't have the education mm-hmm. that everybody else had. So I just put my nose to the, the grindstone and go after it. And that's what I've done ever since. I'm glad that we talked about your values and one of the interesting things we talked about is how much that shapes the way you approach politics now and so as you've engaged with politics which i understand is a sort of new venture for you you've spent a bunch of time in dc and you're also involved here in gallatin county right and can you tell me what is your involvement here in gallatin county so i'm on the gallatin county republican central committee okay in a Correct me if I'm wrong here, but it sounds like your experience on both levels has a common thread. Maybe it's more acute in Washington, D.C., but you still see it. And it sounds like you're concerned about the approach and the mentality around that, around politics generally and about um, partisanship. And I wonder if you can talk about that a little bit. Yeah. To be honest, I don't even know if I'd say it's more acute in D.C., to be honest. Uh, We've got several different groups in Montana that are extreme one way or the other um and and there's not it it doesn't matter if you take the democratic side or the republican side you know there's there's a moderate group in the middle you know and and both sides will work together for the betterment of montana and then you've got extreme groups on either side that are more concerned with ideology than they are actually making montana a better place for its citizens. And I talked to a good friend of mine that was in the House, I think he was in there for six or eight years, uh, as a Democrat. Graduated, same school I went to, uh, and they were actually trying to get me to run for the House. And I called him and I said, hey man, what's it look like? He goes, well, you know, we don't need more ideologues there. Ideologues. Uh, We need problem solvers. And he said, that's part of why I got out. Uh, he said, you know, it's, it's, Helena's full of ideologues, and we don't need that. We need people to go in there that are willing to work together and solve the problems. And, you know, that's probably been the most frustrating thing for me to see is going through leadership in Montana. Yes, I was more conservative than most of the people in my class, but some of my very best friends are 
as far to the left as I am to the right on most issues, and yet we're good friends, and we can sit down and talk about different issues and realize we're not going to solve the problem, but we can hang out, we can talk about it. You're not going to change my mind. I'm not going to change your mind, but hey, let's figure out how we can come together and make Montana a better place for everybody that's living here. One of them was, I was with, uh, I was at the Confluence, and we were riding out to Sims Fishing Products the to take a tour. The Confluence being the annual signature event of Leadership Montana. Go ahead. Yes. Yep. Yes. Sorry. We were riding out to Sims Fishing Products to take a tour, and one of my classmates was in the vehicle with me, and somehow gun rights came up. And I mean, she was way on the other side from where I was, you know, and we talked about it and, you know, I, I sat and I listened and she sat and she listened to me and I listened to her and, you know, we came to a point in that drive to where, you know, she saw what I was saying, but I saw what she said. And, you know, we really, I, we didn't solve the problem. We still don't know where to go with it, but at least we could look at it from each other's point of view and say, Oh yeah, okay. Well, I I see what you're saying and maybe I need to move a little bit this way so that I don't infringe on your freedoms, but yet I don't think everybody in Montana needs a semi-automatic rifle. And I said, "Well, you know, probably not, but if you take out semi-automatic weapons, that's 99.9% of guns out there." And she goes, "Oh, I didn't know that." Mm. And so then we talked about that and the difference in in just in guns and she had no idea because she had never learned about it or talked about it and you know and so I think it it was a cool experience for me especially on that subject because people have such extreme views one way or the other and we live in Montana which is you know 99% of people in Montana have guns and hunt with them and shoot gophers like I do and and so it's a I think it's a very touchy subject in Montana much more so than some other states Mm. um and so to have that conversation with her was, was just super cool for me and to give her the gracious space right. and, and for her to give me gracious space to be able to talk about that and, and just have that conversation was super cool. But I think that's, you know, probably the downfall I see in politics today is we don't listen. You know, I know what I want, you know what you want, and we're not going to work together. We're not going to listen. We're not going to work on this problem together. We're just going to stay in our separate sides and, and yell at each other. Yeah. And I think, you know, that to me is is probably our biggest issue right now. I think an interesting part of the of the discussion around slowing down and having these meaningful conversations, something that I support completely mm-hmm. and I think is foundational to uh, a future where things are better a brighter future but nonetheless um there's no urgency there and people feel pressures in their lives that are that is urgent maybe i'm wrong Mm -hmm. that there is an urgency there but it's it's a slower process right necessarily so what would you say to someone who says i don't have time for that i do not have time for that i'm dealing with an issue right now in my face that i can't afford to play nice with you know that's how That's a tough question. I think since COVID hit, we're seeing it more and more. I mean, you look at business owners that are staring, shutting their doors in the face right now, losing everything that they've worked for, whether it be, you know, they can't pay their employees, they can't pay their taxes, 
you know, they're at 25% capacity. I was talking to a restaurant owner the other day. He says, I can't make it on 25% capacity. He says, I've got 30 days left. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm, I'll be broke. The whole thing will be shut down and I'll be bankrupt. Um, so I think when you, when you look at people that are looking at an urgent situation, I think what we're living in today is a perfect example of those urgent situations um, and, and situations people are facing. Um, and that's, oh man, that's a, that's a tough one because in that, if, if we're looking at a situation like that with businesses right now in, in the COVID-19 era and the urgency they're facing, they might only have 30 days. And so they can't look at the long game. They have to look at the next month. They have to figure out what they're doing in the next week to make things work. Um, but when it comes to other other issues and other situations that the country or the state might be facing right now, a lot of people want to rush to a decision. And like you said, when we're having those meaningful conversations, it does take time. But I think the biggest problem we have right now is people aren't willing to sit down and have those conversations. It, it doesn't have to be a five-year process. If we would sit down and have the conversations and actually put the work into it, we could make things happen and we can make the changes that need to be changed in a short amount of time without jumping to a rash decision because we sat down and had the conversations. Um, so I, I, I think there are a lot of issues facing Montanans right now that do seem urgent. But I also think that, that we could take care of them in a, in a mindful way if we went about it the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, so one, one cool example, we were talking about my work in politics. I got to work on a campaign on an ag policy committee for uh, the guy that was running for governor. And it was the coolest experience I've ever had in politics because he we had over 100 different people working on this ag policy committee. Um, there's only 10 or 12 of us on the committee, but the conversations that we had across the state regarding agriculture and putting things together, we narrowed it down to, and it took us three months to narrow it down, but we got down to a list of 17 items, I think, that were real key for agriculture in Montana. But this particular candidate didn't go to bureaucrats. He didn't go to political analysts. He didn't go to people that are are way up in the industry, huge producers. He went to local producers in every part of Montana that were raising different crops and asked them, what could I do to help you? And yeah, it was a three-month process, but we got it narrowed down to a, a list of 15 or 17 items that worked for everybody across the entire state. And it was a, it was a lengthy process, but it didn't take us three years. It took three months. And mm-hmm. so if if politicians within Montana, if one guy can do that, imagine what it would be if, if everybody in Helena would do that. Instead of worrying about the left and the right and Republican and Democrat, what if what if we just went to the people throughout Montana and had conversations? Jake, when you went through Leadership Montana graduate in 2017, um, I would dare to venture that maybe you didn't, if you're anything like me, most of the people you interact with in your inner circle have pretty similar views to you politically. You did Leadership Montana and you're exposed to people who had really different views than you. And from that um, emerged a, a really, really close friendship with someone who has 
really different views than you, right? It's basically <laughs> on the opposite side. Yeah. And that's EJ Porth, and you had mentioned this. And uh, so I called her after we talked. <laughs> you did. I called her. Okay. And I said, EJ, I'm interviewing Jake Fettis, and I'd love to know if you could ask him one question on air, what that would be. Mm. And her question was, and I'm paraphrasing here, but she said, you know, we have really different political views, and I would wonder what Jake would say about what makes our friendship possible. Hmm. I think I think a big part of what makes it possible is EJ and I are both the kind of people that like to constantly learn. And we grew up so different um, and believe such different things that I can constantly learn from EJ. I mean, I can I could sit with her for two hours and talk, and I would learn something new every single time we did that. It wouldn't matter, you know. And, and part of it's political beliefs, um, but part of it's just who we are. You know, we're very very different people. Um, and I also think too that I think both of us are willing to listen all the time. Both of us are. You know, we'll we'll sit down and talk, and it's not just a conversation. It's it's we're really into the conversation. We're really listening to each other, and we're really paying attention. Um, and I think it takes two people that are willing to do that to really have a friendship like that. It's not just a hey, how's it going? You know, the sky's blue. It's raining. You know, it's been a nice day. It's we we really get down to some issues that are key issues that both of us have very strong feelings on but we can sit and we can really discuss them and talk about them and now we might not always agree uh we'll always agree that the beer is good tastes good it's cold do you want to introduce your daughter yeah ella come here just say hi hi so this is ella she's my my stepdaughter and she is seven years old gonna be eight in december and her and her mother, my wife Alyssa, just got back from the meat shop. They were working over there all day, so they're going to go hang out on the paddleboard. Yay! So, Ella. Ella, what is your favorite meat to eat from the meat shop? Um, Bacon? Filet mignon. <laughs> oh, see, she's got a good taste. It's a super expensive taste. Now, she's loving the meat shop. She likes to go upstairs in the attic and hang out and watch YouTube videos. So, But it's awesome. I mean, that part of the business is fun, too, because it's family. Uh, when we bought it with Feta's Family Meats, we had that in mind. I mean, it truly is a family operation. It's a family ranch. It's a family meat shop. Um, that's That's kind of the whole goal and the whole mindset that we have, even with our employees. We want it to be a family. Yep. Um, so... I mean, everybody thinks, well, not everybody, but some people think that Fettus Family Meats was just a name that we came up with, but it's really not. It's a, it's a mentality that we're trying to embrace with the entire business. So it, it's, I just think it's a cool thing that we're trying to do. So I think that's a perfect segue into the question that I asked you before, and I'm going to put it to you again. <laughs> what gives your life meaning and purpose? I... You know, it's family. It's it's really, it's about family. Um, give me a minute here. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, it's family. Sometimes this uh, family subject tears my heartstrings a little bit because I've got two kids that don't live with me. They live 20 miles away, but it's hard, you know, not having them here all the time. Um, but really, I think, you know, meaning in life is is all about family. Uh, it hasn't always been easy, but ultimately that's that's the main thing that matters to me. It's about you know, kids, wife, uh, parents, sisters, and, and trying to build a business that can support everybody and have everybody in it if they want to be in it. Um, but just, just, you know, raising kids up to be good humans. Um, you know, honestly, the things I learned in leadership Montana, I try to pass on to my kids. Um, I, I don't think they get taught those things in school. And so, you know, to really listen to other people and, and look at both sides of every situation and every issue, I try to teach my kids that, not just to look at, at one side of how they think or be emotional. You know, it's really to just sit down, think about it, you know, listen, really listen, because I think that's being lost Every generation we go on, I think listening is getting lost more and more. And I think that's one of the main things that I learned in Leadership Montana is even if somebody doesn't believe what you believe or think what you believe, it's about listening, listening to them um, and not not judging what they say, not thinking about your response while they're talking. And I know that Chantel talked about that over and over and over, and it never really hit home until about probably six months after leadership Montana. And I was, I was sitting there with a friend having a beer and we were talking and every response that he had, we were talking about an issue that, that we disagreed on. And every time he talked, I was thinking about what I was going to say in rebuttal to what he said. And I wasn't listening to what he said. And I kept rebutting him. And about a half an hour later, he said, dude, we think the same thing. Just stop, stop, fighting me on it and he told me what he thought about it and I was like oh well I never really listened to what he said I was just arguing with him to argue and at that point it really hit me it's like oh yeah that's what Chantel was talking about it wasn't thinking about what you how you were going to respond and what you were going to say in response to what they were saying it was really listening and then taking you know 10 or 15 seconds to think about it and then respond um and I even have that problem with my wife. You know, we'll be discussing something and I'm thinking about how I'm going to respond before she even finishes what she says. And it, it never goes well, you know. It, it Those conversations and those things always go better if we let them finish and then think about how we're going to respond. I don't know. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense to me, man. I mean, I think there's this willingness in there to be seen, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. it's it's scary to not know. It's scary to not have a response ready. As that that stuff terrifies me. And I think I think what's so interesting, Jake, is it's like it's so counter to this classic definition of masculinity. I think, man, you know, like oh, I just, totally. I mean, we were just talking totally. about how much we love our moms. <laughs> <laughs> the, garage, oh, I'm, the garage is opening. Oh my god! 
how the sound interference. Yeah, it's it's bad. Our garage door hey, opener is the worst. But not, hey, but it turns out that you live in a house of the family, so stuff goes I on. Do. And- <laughs> stuff happens here. Um, no, I you know I work with my dad every day, but I'm honestly closer with my mom than I am with my dad. Mm-hmm. And I hope he doesn't hear this because he'll probably take offense to that. But um, I, I attribute a lot of my personality to my mom. Uh, my work ethic definitely comes from my dad, but my personality and just how I deal with people definitely comes from my mom. Um, you know, and like you said, I think really listening and the leadership Montana in general goes against the the historical sense of masculinity. When I sat in Big Sky and we were passing the 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 talking stick around so i'll just add some context that big sky is the first yeah always the first conference of the seven for leadership montana so so when i applied for leadership montana i filled out my application about three quarters of the way and never finished it and the deadline came and we were actually i think we're AIing cows at the time artificially inseminating cows and anna berg texted me and she said hey we need to make people in this class. You need to finish your application. So I text her. I said, okay, well, you know, honestly, I can probably have it done seven days, but no sooner than that. And she said, that's fine. So I finished it within a week, sent it off and got accepted. I didn't really plan to get accepted, but you know, when I did, I was kind of excited. I told my dad, Hey, you know, I'm going to have to miss some work because I'm doing this leadership Montana thing. And he thought it was kind of a silly why do you need to do leadership Montana? And I told him I, I, I wanted to do it to further myself, you know, kind of as continuing education, just to better myself as a person. Um, and he, being from the generation growing up when he did, he kind of thought that was silly. Uh, but I, I, I I really wanted to do it. So I did it. I paid for it myself. I didn't have a business or an organization that paid for it. I sponsored myself through the whole thing. And it was really important to me to do it um, because I hadn't gone to college. Like we talked about earlier, I felt like I had to work harder than everybody else to make up for that lack of education. So I thought it was really important for me to do Leadership Montana. So I went up to Big Sky the first session you know, met some cool people that were in my class. The last day at that session, we sat in a circle and did the talking stick. And me and my rancher mentality, you know, stuck in my ways. I'm going to do everything the same way forever. I don't talk about emotions. I don't talk about feelings. My wife calls me the Tin Man because she says I don't have a heart. Coming from the Wizard of Oz. But sitting there with that talking stick was so far out of my wheelhouse. All I wanted to do was get out of that room. And I I called her. This was actually before we were married. Um, we were just dating at the time. And I called her and I said, I can't do this. I need to get out of this Leadership Montana thing. And she said, no, stick it out. Just see what happens. So I stuck it out. And it was honestly one of the defining moments in my life. Um, it, it has really changed me a lot. Uh, it has really led me to where I am as an entrepreneur. It has also taught me to, you know, sit down, 
listen, think before I respond. And I think that's probably as it's, it's, it's probably helped me to get to where I am in life more than anything else that I've done. You know, it's, it's been great to really listen to people really understand, not jump to judgment, not jump to, uh, you know, putting people in a certain box before I get to know them. So it's it's been an awesome experience. Uh, I would suggest to anybody that they go through Leadership Montana, we need more agricultural people to go through there. Even though it's outside of our wheelhouse, it, it's a different experience. It's dealing with people that are not in our circle. Uh, it has led me to a spot that I would never be in without Leadership Montana. So one thing people don't know is right now in agriculture, there's a huge, huge increase in suicide in ag. People that are in ranching and farming because it's getting harder and harder to make a living and harder and harder to support your family. And And the way we are raised in agriculture is if you don't support your family, if you don't, if you're not providing for your family you're a failure and there's a huge increase in suicide in agriculture and people don't people don't even know that because it's not a talked about thing but as as people in agriculture farmers and ranchers we don't ask for help if we can't help ourselves then we feel like a failure and and the yeah there's just I don't even I don't know what the percentages are, but I just read an article the other day that that ag suicides are up an incredible percent, and it's because we're raised with the sense that we have to support our families, and it's getting harder and harder, and and there's less and less of a profit margin, and so we can't give our kids that lifestyle that, you know, somebody that works at the bank or the insurance company can provide their kids and more and more guys are just ending their lives and it's it's terrible it's absolutely terrible and i don't know what we do about it the last thing i've got on this is a lightning round which is rapid fire question and answer pretty fun okay before we do that i want to know if there's anything else that people should really know about you you know, honestly, I try to put everything out there. I don't try to hide anything. Um, I'm a pretty simple guy. comes down to family and beliefs. Um, and, you know, my family is always first. My beliefs are second. Work is third. Uh, you know, I think when when push comes to shove, family will always be there for you. Other people will let you down, but family will always be there for you. And I think that's one thing that I strive to do in my life is to try to always be there for my family. And family isn't necessarily blood. I have a lot of family that's not, that aren't blood related to me. Um, and I guess so when, so when we talk about family, yeah, I've got my kids, my, my wife, my parents... But I, I have a big family. E.J. Porth is part of my family. Might be part of my leadership Montana family. It could be part of my Amsterdam Meat Shop family or my Fettus Family Meats family. They're all family, and I want to take care of them like I do my kids. 
Uh, and, and that's part of going into this new business venture is that I look at my employees as part of the family too. I look at EJ and a lot of my classmates from 2017 in Leadership Montana as part of my family. But I look at all of Montana as my greater family. I want Montana to exceed, to succeed. I want Montana to continue to be a state that, you know, takes care of everybody within its borders. And I feel like, you know, in the political fight that we're in right now, we have to learn to sit and listen and talk and work out these issues um, to keep Montana going in the right direction. Montana has always been based on who is your neighbor and how do you help your neighbor. And and I think that in, a, in the political scene, we're moving away from that, and we need to get back to our neighbor. What can we do to help our neighbor? Uh, you know, in the ag industry, we've always helped our neighbors. If combine breaks down, we bring our combine over and help them finish a field. You know, um, th- there's always places where we help our neighbor and i want to get back to that even in our more metropolitan areas in montana you know we need to think about our neighbor not just ourselves and what we think and what we want we need to look at you know how our neighbor feels about something that we want to do and if if that neighbor disagrees with us it's not a fight it's how do we work together for the common good that's that's where my focus is and that's where where my work i hope you know leads someday is is how do we work for the common good it's not right it's not left it's not conservative republican it's not liberal democrat it's how do we work for the common good for the entire state of montana and i think that's where we all need to get to and i hope that that in the future we can all be there and we can really learn to sit and listen and and work through those issues for the common good. Okay, go to the lightning round. Rapid fire question and answer. You got this? You you, you know the layout? Yeah, we're good. Okay. We're going to start with, you're going to finish these sentences. The most important thing I can teach my children is... Work ethic. My biggest goal for strengthening my community is... Teaching my local community to sit down and listen and not judge and come up with a response before people finish what they're saying. The most important thing for people to know about the egg industry in Montana is... We're not a bunch of redneck hicks. We actually (laughs) use science for what we produce. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i don't know why you're laughing it's reality people I, think we're redneck kids i know i, I mean <laughs> i don't but most people do the place i turn when i'm overwhelmed scared or unsure is out in the pasture with a bunch of red angus cows just hanging out the tastiest meat I've ever had. Mm, it's gotta be a flaming yawn. It's my favorite. But like, let's get more specific, man. Ooh. You're the expert. Come on. Tastiest meat. So when I really want a good piece of meat, I go to the Land of Magic in Logan, Montana, and order a petite flaming yawn with three deep fried shrimp. 
If you really must know, that's where I go. Baked potato? What are we talking? Twice baked potato. Oh, let's go. With a salad with extra ranch. <laughs> that's my order every single time. They don't even have to ask because I go there that often. I like this guy. <laughs> Progress looks like? Mm. Progress to me looks like more cattle in a pasture, less houses. <laughs> okay, now we're going to move to, I'm just going to say a word or a quick phrase, and you're mm-hmm. just going to react to it. 2020. Terrible. <laughs> National politics. Divisive. Montana politics. More divisive. Local politics. A shit show? <laughs> Does that work? So as a backstory, in Gallatin County, we have two extreme sides of the Republican Party. There's a few of us that are listeners and like to work with the other side, and there's a group of people that are extreme right that want nothing more than for everybody to vote the Republican Party line. Mm-hmm. That's so shit show. <laughs> shit show. Okay. <laughs> Ranching culture. Uh, changing. Changing. That's really the only word for it. Vulnerability. Tough. Veganism. Terrible. <laughs> Absolutely the worst decision you could ever make in your life. Your body will waste away. You will turn into a skeleton of your former self. Can you publish that? Yeah. <laughs> you damn right I can publish that. Time to recharge. A river and a fly rod. Jake Fettis, thanks for coming on the podcast. Eric Halverson, thank you for having me. <laughs> Thanks for listening to episode three of Listen First Montana. Quick note, if you are a meat eater, I hope you'll think about swinging through Amsterdam, Montana, just a small detour off of I-90 near Belgrade to buy some Fetus family meats from Jake, Alyssa, and company. You won't regret it. Take it from me. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts and maybe even tell your friends about the show. As usual, we really love feedback because we need it to get better. So good, bad, or ugly, we want to hear it. Please email me, eric, E-R-I-C, at leadershipmontana.org. Until next time, I'm Eric Halverson, and this is Listen First, Montana. Montana.